Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. I am a Christmas supporter, and many of you know that of me. If you've been here the past few weeks, you've probably heard me talk about Christmas a bit, and you would know that I like Christmas. I'm that kind of person. Now, I, don't, I maybe don't go over Christmas crazy. I don't need Christmas music in October, but by November, I am there. And I'm, I'm real with Christmas and, and its cool thing and the way it, it is and the excitement of it. I recognize that Thanksgiving is just baby Christmas. It's just like pre-Christmas or first Christmas or turkey Christmas, whatever you want to call it, but that's, that's really what Thanksgiving is. It's just the start of the whole Christmas thing, and I'm, I'm okay with that because I do love Christmas. Now, please lock that into your heart because what I'm about to say might seem blasphemous to you, but there are certain things at Christmas that I can't 100% get behind. Like, some things I I understand it's a part of Christmas and that's okay, but there are a few things that I'm just like, I'm not 100% on board with. Again, I love Christmas. Hopefully you've heard me say that. I love Christmas, but some things I just, I don't understand completely. One of them is this. It is something called fruitcake, and for some reason, it is a part of our Christmas tradition. Why? I don't know. Did Jesus have fruitcake at the first Christmas? Is this what Mary and Joseph had? No, it is not. Did the wise men bring fruitcake? No, they did not. But for some reason, this has become a part of our our Christmas experience, fruitcake. I have some of it here, and I... I, I debated with something this week. I'm going to be honest, and you can thank me for this. I was thinking about this whole fruitcake experience. Look at that. I don't even know what that is. But yeah, I debated this whole fruitcake experience, and I, my first inclination was, because I love, like, you guys talk about when, when I've done certain things, like there was the Sunday where we served everybody ice cream during the sermon, and that was a pretty big hit. So I had this thought, like, what if we have little cups and we serve everybody fruitcake? But I realized you really don't want that. Like, you want ice cream, probably, and that we would just be throwing away a lot of fruitcake. That is what would happen. And so I decided that you would probably prefer, instead of me serving you fruitcake, is you just watching me try the fruitcake, right? Yeah, wouldn't that be more enjoyable? And so that's what's going to happen, is I'm going to try a piece of this in just a few seconds. Now, as you know that services work, this is our third service this weekend. And so in terms of my fruitcake history in my life, I've tried it maybe once or twice in my past. I've mostly blocked it out. It was when I served as a youth pastor and I would mess with teenagers and make them eat it for like some kind of youth game or something. Like, yeah, see how much fruitcake you can eat or, or something like that in a youth ministry kind of game. And I've mostly blocked out those memories of trying the fruitcake. And so until this weekend, this is pretty much it, all right? That's pretty much my experience. And it has been interesting with fruitcake. If you look at the label and when ingredients go on these things, the ingredients listed first are like the, the ingredients that there's the most of, right? And so the number one ingredient in this fruitcake, which is, by the way, if you look on the label, it says the choice of millions since 1910. Millions, yeah, since 1910, which is interesting because I guess that is a long time ago. So maybe millions isn't that many when you think about it just a little bit. But the choice of millions since 1910, and and that does make sense because one of the things we learn about fruitcake is original fruitcake when it was made, it was made that it could last up to 25 
years, yes. Because nothing says deliciousness like something that can last for 25 years. Just putting that out there. But now, when you look at the ingredients in this, the number one ingredient is raisins, which I guess makes sense. But that doesn't like super strike me as a great thing. I'm more of a chocolate chip cookie kind of person than the oatmeal raisin kind of person. That's, that's just my preference. So not exciting. But the second main ingredient, as you look at this, you would think flour, right? Like this has to be floury, doughy, something that holds this together. The second main ingredient in this, orange peel. Just lock that away. Orange peel is the second main ingredient. And I'm going to take a bite of this just for a second for you to enjoy. I can see there's raisins here. I'm going to try to get a piece of this green thing because I'm like, is this broccoli? I need to find out. And I'm not totally sure what the green thing is, but it could be. So here uh, we go. All right. I made sure to take a small bite because last service I did not. <laughs> and that was a mistake. Here's the thing, like, if I'm being 100% honest with you, the number one thing on my mind is chewy, <laughs> which is not what I'm looking for. It's not bad. I don't know what the green thing is. It's not broccoli, I don't think, but it could be sugared broccoli. It was, it was something hard. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of textures. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I'm continually brought back to this thought when it comes to fruitcake. Why? Why is this a thing? Like, when it comes to Christmas, like, this is a big thing. You can find this. You'll find this. And if you want, it, you, you can find, actually, I have a few to give away at the very end of service if you really want this. But for most of us, you can find this at Walmart or Wegmans or wherever you probably grocery shop. You'll find this or something close to it. And, and that experience will be there for you to have if you want. But why do we do this? Why do we eat fruitcake at Christmas? Why do we even go so far as to give fruitcake out at Christmas? Why is that a gift? Why is that something we do? This tradition comes to us from the British, which I believe makes complete sense. And not to offend anybody who has British background, I have a little bit of British in my background as well. So this includes me. But I understand this makes sense because I know that the French, the Italian, the Greek, even sometimes the Germans, they are all known for their delicious food, right? But no one ever said, hey, let's go out for British food tonight. Like that's not something anyone ever says because that is not what they are known for. When you give fruitcake as a gift at Christmas, it's kind of like saying, hi, I don't know anything about you, and I'm pretty sure I don't want to. So here, here is this. Enjoy, enjoy. Now, I realize as a pastor, I get many gifts, and so I am setting myself up to receive a lot of fruitcake this year, and that is probably going to happen. And in complete transparency with you, we received a gift this week in the mail that said that it was perishable. And my first thought as I saw the box that said perishable was I thought, I've got to completely change my sermon around because someone just gave me fruitcake. <laughs> and I had, I had a small heart attack, but it wasn't fruitcake. It was actually a lovely pine centerpiece, which is awesome, and thank you for that. It, it was wonderful. But we do this, right? We have fruitcake. We have these bars, which three of you get to go home with at the end of service if you really want to. But we have these things, and we do this. And, and why? In all seriousness, fruitcake does remind me, as I think about it, of of one of those few things that I do kind of dislike at Christmas. It is, it is that forced, that obligated, that contrived, that artificial feeling that we sometimes experience, right? And you know what this is. It's when we feel forced to give a gift that 
we don't know why we're giving or we don't really want to give. And we know the person doesn't even necessarily want to receive, but we just have to come up with something for this unknown person and give them this thing. It's when we feel pressured to have a moment with some group of distant family or, or cheer our way through an awkward party with colleagues. It is those, those moments or gifts that are forced. Christmas when it doesn't feel real and we don't feel quite right. This is the issue of joy at Christmas. Of all the things in the world that we want to experience at Christmas, joy, joy I believe is the big one universally. In the church, we know we want love, peace. We want, we want to have all those things that come with hope. We want those other things. But joy, that's not something we as a church have to argue with with the world around us that we want to experience at Christmas. Everybody wants joy at Christmas. It's the big one. Christmas is supposed to be a celebration. There has to be smiles. That is everybody's goal at Christmas. We want joy We know we should have joy. Christian tradition says that we should experience joy. But then we run into the problem, right? How? How do we bring joy about? Because we know we can't force joy. We can't just snap our fingers and create joy. And we can't simply contrive joy in some way. Just like we can't tickle ourselves, joy doesn't simply snap into place for us. And and so sometimes we're simply left with a difficult moment an awkward work event, or even worse, we're left with fruitcake, right? We're left with fruitcake. We recognize that joy is complicated. It is complicated into bringing into existence in our lives. As a child, I was told that joy stands for Jesus, others, and then yourself. And that is a great way to teach our children to order our life. And I believe there's some truth there, but finding and experiencing joy is usually just not that simple. In life and in scripture, we see joy in people who have. We see joy in people who who don't have. We see joy in people who are happy, but we also see joy in people who are sad or burdened. In James chapter 1 verse 23, we see joy in trials. In 2 John 1 12, we see joy in community and in being together. In 1 Thessalonians 1 6, it tells us that joy comes from God. In 1 Peter 1, it tells us that joy is in faith. In Philippians 2, it tells us that Jesus is to be our joy. And I wonder, does any of that help us? And I think the answer is yes, but what it, it does say to us is joy is complicated, right? There's a lot of things behind joy, where it pops up and how it comes to be in our lives. And I know that I want this. I want joy for my family and my friends. I want joy for my church. I want to bring that about. So I I know that I can't. I know that we can't manufacture joy. But this is what we do see. We do see that we can create opportunities for joy to be chosen. That is what I hope that we can offer. It's hope what I can offer my family and friends this Christmas. It's what I hope we can offer as a church to each other at this Christmas. It's the opportunity for joy to be chosen. This is what we see happening in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. And that's found on page 1012 in your pew chair Bibles. If you want to look there, you can. It's found on page 1012, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. Here in this passage, we get to look at joy experienced because of the birth of a child. This wasn't actually Jesus' birth, but it was a birth happening very close to Jesus' own. 
We find this birth is a relative of Jesus, the person who came and would prepare the way for Jesus. It is John the Baptist's birth. Now, we won't pretend that this passage gives us everything we need to know about joy. As we've already said, joy is way too complicated for that. What we do see here, though, is some very real truth about joy, about how we often lose it in this world and how we can help ourselves find it. And so this is what Luke chapter 1 Verses 5 to 25, this is what it says. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to a priestly division of Abijah, whose wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Verse 11 says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them and they realized he had a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. Verse 23 says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. For Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, there was one thing in this world that they had always wanted. One thing in this world that they had clearly wanted. The angel makes this fairly clear from the beginning. The angel Gabriel says, it's the thing you've been praying for, right? Your prayers have been answered. That thing is a child. Now, of all the people in the world who deserved a child, if you can deserve a child, I don't think anyone really deserves a child, but if if you could deserve a child, Zachariah and Elizabeth were probably it, right? They were wonderful people. Blameless, the Bible says. Sure, they weren't perfect, but they were great people. They would probably be fantastic parents, but they didn't have a child. They didn't have a child. They had grown older and still didn't have a child. And then Zechariah, while serving in his priestly duties in the temple, is confronted by an angel. And not just any angel, but Gabriel. 
And Zechariah gets the news he and Elizabeth will have a baby. And in sharing the news, the angel Gabriel was very clear joy has arrived. Joy has arrived. Why has joy arrived? Zechariah is getting a meaningful gift. He is being shown that he matters. He is finding family and he is being drawn to a great purpose and direction for his future. There are a lot of reasons to find joy here. Why? Because there are a lot of reasons to give Zechariah the opportunity to dream and to believe. To dream in his future, to dream in his family, to dream about who he is and his importance, to believe, and most wonderfully, to believe that his prayers have been heard. And that God, who maybe was so silent for so long, to believe that God is real and that he cares. There is reason to dream and to believe. But scripture tells us that Zechariah doesn't get that joy right away. Why? Because to have joy, he has to believe. And the angel was very clear, he doesn't believe. I encourage us all to remember this. To have joy, we have to believe. To have joy, we have to believe. To have joy in something, we have to believe in it. To have joy in our relationships that are meaningful in our lives, we have to believe in them. To have joy in my marriage, I have to believe in that marriage, in that relationship. I have to believe in it. I have to dream in it. I have to have dreams and beliefs for the future. And yes, there are going to be moments that are difficult. There are going to be moments where we're, we're, we're maybe not connected on a certain issue, moments where, where we disagree on something. But beyond all of that, there still has to be that belief if there's going to be joy in that marriage or any relationship that we have. There must be that opportunity to believe and dream that has to be there if there is to be joy. Let's look at another example, one that's not near as serious. In all of our favorite sports teams, there must be a belief there for there to be any joy there. I am, of course, a New York Jets fan, which I know many of you enjoy and love, especially this year. It's fantastic for everyone who's a Bills fan, of course. And here's the thing. One of the things we recognize in all of our sports teams or anything that we are excited about that way, if we want joy from that thing, we have to believe in it. When the Jets are great and I believe in them, there is a lot of joy. Right now, I just kind of ignore that it's happening and I pay attention to soccer or something else like that because there's no belief. And if there's no belief, there's no joy in any of this. It is true. There's no belief. There's no joy. To have joy in myself, in my future, in my life, for all of us, we have to believe in those things. Joy is found in the heart of a believer. And believing in nothing and some of us, we know those people, they're in our lives, right? Those people who believe in nothing. We recognize their lives are joyless. Their lives are joyless. But this is the other side that is great. The greater our belief, the greater our joy. The greater our belief, the greater our dream, the greater potential we have in this world for joy. Some of us have belief in our sports teams, right? And and from that, we get a little bit of joy, right? It's, it's minor, but we get that joy because there's belief there. Many of us believe in relationships in our lives, and those relationships in return bring us even more joy. Some of us have special relationships, right? Those really meaningful relationships that are so close to our hearts, and those give us an even greater capacity to find joy in this world. When we believe in those relationships, we have joy. And for those of us who choose to be Christians, who choose to believe in God, 
the potential, the opportunity for joy, it is overflowing. Because when you dream and believe in something so big, the joy is just as big. If not, if it's even possible, if not more. The greater our dreams, the greater our belief, the greater the thing we believe in, the greater our possibility and our potential for joy. Zechariah is in the temple and he had been confronted by an angel. And not just any angel, he's been confronted by Gabriel. Joseph met with an angel in a dream. To put this in perspective, Joseph met with an angel in a dream. And we can understand, like, if Joseph doesn't quite believe or understand things, like, that was a dream. Zechariah is in the temple. He is in basically the holiest place you can find in the world. If there's one place you could maybe expect to meet with God, to be in his presence, and to maybe run into an angel, Zechariah is in that place. And in that place, he meets with Gabriel. But Zechariah doesn't believe. Believing and having a child at this point in his life, Zechariah is beyond the place where he can believe in that. He is beyond the place where he wants to believe in it. He has dreamed for that child for far too long, and the hurt from believing in the past is simply too much. It is too much. It is too hard. Zechariah has doubts, and with doubt, there is often little room for joy. May we remember that. With doubt, there is often little room for joy. Doubt is not the opposite of joy. The opposite of joy would probably be sorrow or something like that. But we do know this, where there is doubt, there is often little joy in our world and in our lives. Are your doubts stopping the joy that you could experience? Are your doubts in the future for your family, for your relationships, for your finances, whatever your doubts are, are they stopping the joy that could be in your life? Doubt and worry, we recognize that those are real things. They start early in our lives. I see them in my children already. They worry and they fear and they have doubt, and I recognize that when those things creep in, joy just seems to disappear. And it's, it's one of my greatest worries. It's one of my greatest doubts in myself as a parent. It's one of the things I, I put my most efforts into is, is watching that doubt, watching that worry, and making sure that I address it because I realize that doubts and worry drive joy from our lives. We recognize the same is true for us, right? We doubt, we worry, and joy leaves. When I doubt someone, I see the worst in them. When I doubt my country and our leaders, I see the worst in them. When I doubt my family, my friends, my church, when I doubt their intentions, I see the worst and there is no room for joy. When we doubt our purpose in life, when we live a life with nothing to dream in, nothing to believe in, when we feel like life has kicked us and hurt us and we don't believe in anything, even ourselves, there is no room for joy. What often happens in those moments with no joy, joy from the inside, joy that fills our hearts, when that is empty and that's not there, we seek superficial happiness and, and, and we seek surface satisfaction. Why do we again and again turn to destructive things, alcohol, drugs, bad relationships, shutting down and throwing away money? Why? Because we have no dreams, we have no beliefs, and therefore we have no joy. This is empty, and so we have to fill it with some kind of happiness out here because there's no joy here. 
I would encourage us to remember this. Please hear this. It is okay to doubt. It is okay to doubt. We all have doubt. Really, all the time, we have it. Hear me say this. I have doubts. I have questions. There are things that have happened to my life, to my family, to my loved ones, to my community, things that happen that I don't understand. I don't have the answers, and I know that I won't, and it brings me to doubt. We recognize that we have doubts, and it is okay to doubt, but remember this, while it is okay to doubt, it is always better to dream. It is always better to believe. We have doubts. I would encourage you to put your doubts in a time limit. Give them their moment. They're going to be there. They are real. Just like our feelings, like anger and frustration and those things, those are real things that we have and experience, and we can't, we can't not have them. Doubts are real. Worry is real. But give it its time, and then choose to believe. Choose to dream. When you choose to dream, when you choose to believe, you choose to give yourself the opportunity to find joy. If we want to help ourselves and others to find joy, we have to help ourselves and we have to help others to believe and to dream. I've heard people talk this year about how Christmas and the Christmas spirit just isn't there. And the truth is, I hear that as a pastor. I hear that every year. It's a pretty normal thing that happens. And sometimes it's because Christmas sneaks up on us, right? And it's just there before we know it. And, and we're in that Christmas mode. And, and I think sometimes it's for us because I recognize this as a parent sometimes is that sometimes Christmas becomes more of a chore and a task than it does to become like that celebration. And I know that. What do we do when that happens? We do something that makes us dream. Do something that helps us to believe, that returns the joy. That returns the joy. True joy is more than just happiness and laughter. Joy comes from something deeper inside of us. It is contentment mixed with well-being, connected with belonging, and topped with success. And we, we must help people believe in those things. For my family at Christmas, joy is what I want for them. I want them to have that and experience that. I want that for my friends and family. I want that for my church. I want joy to reign and overflow in our lives. I know what Christmas has become. I know for many of us it's easy to become cynical about Christmas, right? Oh, it's just a, a racket to, to, for us to spend money and it just feeds in the hole. We need this and we have to have that and there has to be another event and my kids need more toys and there is that whole mentality and I recognize that, but do not allow your heart to become cynical because this is what I see and what I know. I know that joy doesn't come from just a gift. I know there's no gift that I can give that brings that, but I also know that gifts can play a part in creating a place where someone can dream. They can be told that they are special. They can be held up and know that I am loved and I am cherished so much that someone has poured these moments into me and, and prepared this for me and I am special and, and that can create a heart that believes and dreams in themselves and in that there is incredible joy. There is incredible joy. I know that no event or meal will snap joy into being, but I know that those things are important to community, to togetherness, to knowing that we belong together and that we're not alone, and to believing into this world, to believing in other people, to dreaming about who we can be and who they are, and I know that that can create an atmosphere of joy. I know that no certain visiting family member will make joy just happen, no matter how, how far away they come. But I know that in the comfort and presence of family, there will be a warmth. 
There will be belonging. There will be an idea that you matter to someone, that they traveled so far for you, that they're invested in your life, that they believe in you and your future and all of those wonderful things. And with those dreams and that future and that, that purpose and belonging, I know all of that feeds an opportunity for joy to be chosen. May we be encouraged to give ourselves and our family reason to dream, reason to believe, and in that, we will find the opportunity for all of us, family, friends, church, for us together to choose to find joy in our lives. This week, I saw here in our church a family help another family out at Christmas through the use of their resources to help another family experience Christmas. It was a wonderful thing to see to see someone use resources that just blessed a family beyond understanding. And as I witnessed that taking place, I could see in the eyes of those who were giving, I could see the dreams and the hope and the belief in their eyes. I could see joy come alive. I didn't see those who received the gifts, but I know that those gifts are going to help them believe believe that they matter, believe that they are loved, to know that they're not alone, to believe that there are good people in this world, and most wonderfully, that there is a good God in this world. And in all of that belief and all of that ability to dream, there will be an overflow of joy. I know that it's true because I know for myself, just awkwardly standing on the outside, watching this exchange happening, I know that I was filled with the ability to dream and believe in people, to dream and believe in good, to dream and believe that God can change people to where their hearts explode for each other. And in that, I was filled with unspeakable joy. And while my Christmas maybe wasn't quite here until that point, at that moment, my Christmas was here because joy is here. I encourage you to give your family, your friends, your community, give yourself the opportunity to believe. Give the people around you the reason to believe in you. Give them the reason to believe in family. Give them reason to believe in love. Give them reason to believe in themselves, in their future, in their value. Most importantly, give them reason to believe in God. Give them reason to believe in God. And I encourage you to test and see if joy comes alive in their lives. It took Zechariah a while. He didn't believe at first, but the signs of his very pregnant wife became fairly obvious. And of course, he, he kind of had to come around that, that this was going to happen. Because of his doubts, Zechariah couldn't speak. But when his belief returned in full, so did his voice. Later in Luke 1, we see Zechariah joyfully proclaim his beliefs in the future of his child. Zechariah could dream again. His joy had returned as well. I imagine that Zechariah stood out in the world at this point in history. The world wasn't filled with many people who had dreams. It was filled with a lot more doubters than believers. And God knew that like Zechariah, the world needed a child to restore its ability to dream. And so God sent his own child to make those dreams and beliefs reality, to bring joy to a hurting world. Do you need something to believe in? Do you need something, do you need a reason to dream? 
At Christmas, God gave us the greatest source of belief and dreams for our futures, for our lives. He gave us the greatest source of love and care. He gave us an understanding that we matter, and he gave us a star to guide us to our purpose and to our potential in this world. God gave us reason to dream. He gave the world. He gave you, Jesus Christ. Would you like to accept that reason to dream? I'm going to invite everybody, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to say a simple prayer about what I believe in. It's a statement of my belief in God and in Jesus Christ, and it's a statement of, of where and what holds my belief in my dreams, where my joy comes from. If you would like to accept that belief for yourself, maybe for the first time or just in a renewed way, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of salvation, but most importantly, it's a statement of faith. And it is by our faith, the Bible tells us, that we are saved. We become a part of God's family. We believe in him and we find the best joy in the world. If you would like that, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. God, our Heavenly Father, God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. God, I believe that Jesus came into this world. I believe that he lived a perfect life. and God, I believe that he died on the cross for me in this world. And God, I believe that you and the power that you have over sin and death and darkness, God, I believe that you brought Jesus back from the dead. God, in all of those things, God, in all of those things, I believe. God, I ask that those beliefs would fill my life. God, I ask that those beliefs would fill my dreams, fill my purpose for the future. God, may those beliefs fuel my understanding of how much I am loved, of how much you've done for me, and how much potential I and others have in this world. God, I ask that you would come into my heart. If there is any sin there, any division between me and you, God, forgive me of it and remove it from my life. God, may I believe, even in a world filled with temptation, may I believe in who I can be through you. And may I dream for the future. And through all of that, God, as I place my beliefs in you and I find my dreams for the future in you, God, bring joy to my heart. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I encourage you to keep your head bowed and eye closed. And If you prayed that prayer with us this morning and you would just like someone to know that you prayed that prayer, you would like to make that statement, for many of us, that's an important thing for us to do, to make that statement to say, I did this and this is a meaningful step for me. I encourage you to raise your hand to allow us to know that you made that decision. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. You may lower your hands. Father above God in heaven, God, I ask your blessing now upon everyone in this room. God, we are seeking joy right now. God, we know that comes from our belief and our dreams, and so God, fill our beliefs, fill our dreams. May we turn our hearts to you. God, right now I pray over any relationship that's represented in this room, in this space right now, God, and I ask that you would bless those relationships, God. Help people to believe in each other, to dream in the future that can come, God, I recognize there are moments that are tough. There are moments where we disagree. There are moments that bring stress and all different things upon our shoulders and our lives and those relationships, God, but allow us to dream and believe through them and to find joy from them. 
God, for each and every one of us in our most important relationship with you, God, I recognize that there is so much, so much that can fill our hearts with doubt. God, we recognize that doubt is a part of our life, but God, let us recognize that the doubt is there, but let, us not, let it not be something we dwell upon and something that controls us. May we choose to dream and believe. God, in our beliefs, God, in our beliefs, bring joy to our lives. God, each and every one of us this Christmas season, we have the chance to bring joy to others' lives or at least the opportunity to, of joy to others' lives because we give them the opportunity to dream and to believe. God, allow us to do that. Allow us to be sources of belief and dreams to the world around us. May we use our resources, our time, our care, our love, whatever we have to just fuel that opportunity and to bring the opportunity of joy to the lives around us. Thank you, God. Bless our hearts as we live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our praise team to come forward now if they would. As they come forward, we are going to close this morning's service with a Christmas classic, a song called Joy to the World. And I imagine that makes sense to you, right? Why wouldn't we sing Joy to the World? This is Joy Sunday, right? It makes sense. But I do want us to know before we sing that song that a little history behind that song is that each and every one of us here, I know myself, we have been duped by this song for years upon years upon years because Joy to the World was not written as a Christmas song. That is true. And if you think about it for a second, you'll recognize in Joy to the World, and as we sing it, you'll recognize that there's, there's no mention of shepherds, there's no mention of wise men, there's no mention of a manger scene or a nativity. Joy to the World was actually originally written not about Jesus' first coming, but about his second coming to this world. And in that, we recognize the true joy that can come to our lives as we can believe in the greatest thing in this world, a Savior who will one day take us to be in heaven with him. And in that way, I recognize this. Maybe it's not a song that's a Christmas song, but it is a song that is a joyful song. And what better song than to sing at Christmas? So we're going to join together in this Christmas song. May it fill your heart with joy and the true joy that we have to believe in, a Savior who is coming again. Would you stand with us as we close in this song?